we uh, raising money for? For kids in Poland. For kids in Poland. For kids in Poland. It's the first fully hand-drawn, traditionally animated video game. We've been looking to see if there's another large city mayor in Canada or North America that's Polish background, and I don't think there is, and so it makes me very proud to be that individual. Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland? Sausages. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Jazz. I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 50th episode of Polcast. Why are we doing it a little later this month? January, our first Polcast episode in the new year, is actually later than we normally did. We played in the orchestra. That's right. Well, not the first time. We've played in this orchestra for quite a number of years and nobody knows about it. Well, it was the first time for me. Uh, and what a great event it was. But you will hear more yes. about it later in this episode. Poland is known around the world mostly for Solidarity and John Paul II. Maybe Chopin and Copernicus, if people know that they were Polish. But in recent years, another amazing Polish brand has been emerging. Since 1993, the Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity, a non-governmental charity in Poland, has been working tirelessly with one goal in mind, health protection and saving children's lives through providing medical equipment to public hospitals. This year, for the 26th time, this huge annual campaign involving hundreds of thousands of volunteers raising money in Poland and in other countries has yielded yet another record amount. Last year, it was 105 million Polish lotus, roughly equivalent to 30 million US dollars. All this money goes into purchasing state-of-the-art medical equipment for Polish hospitals, mostly for pediatric and geriatric care wards. The orchestra, as they say, plays through thousands of events, auctions, and all kinds of very unconventional fundraising ideas. This mass movement involves artists, intellectuals, politicians, sponsors, private and corporate donors, and most importantly, normal people, but also youth and kids. The fundraising efforts end on the second Sunday of January with a huge finale in the form of televised auctions, sporting events, and spectacular concerts with fireworks. The orchestra plays also in 20 other countries, including Canada, where it started in 2004. For three days, dozens of volunteers ignored the extreme cold in Toronto and other cities, collecting money into sealed boxes sent from the orchestra's headquarters in Poland. They spent hours collecting money in front of churches and stores at shopping plazas. Why do they do that? 
So you've been extremely involved in all this. Why? Because I am extremely, extremely involved in all the causes that need involvement. Right. Like what? Like uh, old health-related causes, uh, children-related causes, uh, all, all of that. And especially this one's especially dear to me because uh, because this um, the funds raised go to the neglected areas in the Polish healthcare which is the neonatal care, children's wards, and last year we had the geriatric care, which I believe was beautiful. So, yeah, I get involved because I, I believe I have the drive to pull people in, and um, I have no problem raising money. I'm much better in raising money for good causes than making it for myself. So, no, I definitely believe this is this is my, my thing. So, yeah. So, you were there for two days, right? Or three days, I should say. Okay. I started Friday night, which was pretty tough. The, the weather was bad. The roads were really bad, so we didn't get a lot of money. Plus, the area wasn't, wasn't the friendliest. However, I moved from that mall to to Starsky one, and it was much nicer, much nicer. And what I have to say, I had a lot of donations from the Ukrainian people. I love Ukrainians, and uh, I think that that's really commendable that they would actually approach me asking what the cause was, and they just donated, and so that that was beautiful. But what kind of people give money? You can't say. And you know what I've learned, and also my son did, not to make assumptions. Sometimes you see a person, and we would think, no, there's no way they can give. They'll, they'll pray, lecture us, and they're coming actually to hand in money without even being asked. And sometimes we were seeing someone, you know, and they're coming over and think, oh, okay, nice. They're coming to give us some money, and then we're getting this nasty, nasty monologue. But you know what? We've learned to laugh and just not to uh, not to really you know focus on that why are you here I did it the first time last year I was very very nervous because people are all sorts of people you meet so but I had a lot of satisfaction after I did it and I decided to do it again this year why would you decide to do that again and why would you do it in the first place because I think it's a wonderful cause and I know people who are helped with this equipment that was bought from the money collected by orchestra not to mention that my uh, daughter-in-law who is a teacher and my granddaughter who are both in Poland they were doing it for many many years already so even if a few people tell you something that's not so nice it's still worth it and it's amazing that it's done outside Poland isn't it yes it is I didn't know about the thing that it is done here in Canada we just found out last year and we met a fantastic group of people and we are doing it I'm still a little bit scared though to come up to people and ask for money exactly what do they say some are very nice and give more than we would ever expect. What's the maximum that you got? A hundred dollars twice. That's a lot of money. So it was a lot of money. Sunday, January 14th was the day of the great finale. Ours was held at the Fregata restaurant in Mississauga, a rather iconic place, the oldest such wonderful Polish restaurant on this continent. 
It was time for opening the collection boxes and counting the money. What's your name? Darian. Darian, and how old are you? Seven. And how old are you? And what's your name? Paula and five. Are you brother or sister? No. no. What do you know about why we're here today? Because Poland has lots of sick kids in hospitals. Don't really have lots of like medicine for the sick kids. What are we raising money for? We're sick kids in for sick kids in Poland. For they can buy some things that they need. That's right. Like what? Like medicine. Exactly. So you are actually helping those kids in Poland. Mm-hmm. Why do you have a heart on your cheek? I have a heart on my cheek. Do you want to have a heart on your cheek? No. No. See, I wanted to have a heart on my cheek. Right? Are you happy I'm that happy. you came? Was mm-hmm. it fun today? Yes. What did you do? We like we went to Starskiego to collect some money from other oh, people. Oh, so you actually had a box? Mm-hmm. And do you know how much you collected? 749. Wow! And you know how much you collected? She no. collected 714. <gasps> so they were all practically even, right? Oh my God, congratulations, guys. Yeah. Are you going to do it next year? Yes. Yeah. You did it last year, right? Yes. And you... My high score from last year. So why do you think it's important for these kids? Are they your kids? Darian is my son. I think it's extremely important because it, it teaches them compassion, right? Uh, it teaches them what the good cause means. And, uh, you know, these are kids who are helping other kids, right? And it's, it's, uh, he was extremely proud last year, uh, especially at his school. He told everybody uh, he had an assignment to do, which was start, start of the week, and he was supposed to put his biggest accomplishment there. And that's what he put, right? That he was collecting money towards, uh, you know, hospi- hospitals in Poland. Not only do they come, but they also bring their non-Polish friends who are excited to participate in the fundraising, like Darian's best friend from school. That Sunday, January 14th, a silent auction was also held with hundreds of donated items, as well as a beautiful concert with all the artists performing for free. And what a concert it was. Out of the trio Studio Merlot, two vocalists, Ilona Kavalik and Anna Nivulis, had been on stage at the very first grand finale ever held in Canada in 2004. The last performer of the evening, a dynamic group, the Ukrainian folk, who came from Poland, playing and singing great Ukrainian folk music in modern arrangements, have been playing for the orchestra for years. Other performers were our own cabaret star, Wojtek Gawenda, and a folk group, Polki Village, established by a Polish ethnomusicologist, Evelina Ferenc, and consisting of three other accomplished folk musicians of Finnish, Irish, and Algerian roots, all in love with Polish folk music. This was a time of joy and great satisfaction, as the fundraising done on the streets and at the concert, through direct bank deposits, the silent auction, yielded the record amount of over $23,500. The orchestra played, which means that money was raised also in Ottawa, Windsor, Calgary, and Edmonton. And altogether, this year's funding in Canada brought over $30,000. Plus, 5,000 Polish Zlotys collected in a virtual box organized by the previous head of the orchestra's Canadian contingent, Anna Bohenska. 
That was an amazing orchestra. And, of course, we plan to do it next year. In order to get more information about the orchestra and about the Canadian campaign, as well as what's going on in Poland during that time, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In our previous episode, number 49, we presented to you a group of Polish students who have created an interesting English-language website, greatpols.pl. We announced then a collaboration between Polcast and those ambitious young people. We offered them a regular slot in our Polcast episodes where they will present Great Poles, whom they feature on their website. Here is their first production. Gentlemen, welcome to the very first Great Pulse Podcast Edition. Talking to you is Stanisław Borowski, and I'm here with one of the main members of the team, Alicja Stompur, who presented the project in the British Embassy back in November. Today, we'll be talking about Franciszek Kornicki, one of the greatest pilots of the Polish Air Force, who bravely fought against the Nazis Luftwaffe during the Battle of England as a Royal Air Force pilot. He furthermore became the youngest squadron captain at the age of only 26. But that's not all of his accomplishments. Preparing for its 100th anniversary, Royal Air Force decided to launch a public vote for the face of the ceremony. Kornitsky won it significantly by dominating other rivals and won it by the margin of 325,000 votes. So Alicia, tell me, how did you find out about Franciszek Kornitsky? Well, as a great pole team member, I came across the Telegraph vote in which Franciszek Kornicki was the leading candidate. I did my research, uh, bought his biography, and the process of writing an article had officially started. So what is so special about your article? Does it contain some unknown information or that other articles do not have, for instance? Well, I think it is. I mean, I would say it's very personal. So from your point of view? Yeah, it's from my point of view, but the only only source of information I used was Kornicki's book, his really? autobiography. No articles? Yes. No, no, no. Um, and I read it in order to get to know the history and all of his greatest achievements uh, from his point of view. I wanted the article to be something more than just a few basic facts from, from his life. Um, I even included some anecdotes that I hope bring Kornicki's sense of humor into the article. Above all his accomplishments, uh, I aim to show what kind of person he really was. So, tell me, what, what was he like exactly? 
I think that his golden rule in life was to always be kind to everybody. As simple as that, but people trusted him and I think that above his flying skills. This was uh, one of the factors that decided about his great accomplishment in such young years. Um, his natural kindness sometimes saved him from several oppressions. Maybe you've heard about Yeah, yes, some. yes. You told me a few times that he yeah. talked his way out of a murder. Yeah, but exactly. is there a moment in his life that grabbed you by heart? Well, I would say the way he described his first experience with flying, that was something that really touched me. Um, he started his adventure as a teenager and on a flying camp. And what's funny, uh, he was described by other pilots as a choleric. Was it sort of his alias? Um, no, I wouldn't say. They they just called it like that, just to make fun out of him. And the choleric was someone who will never learn how to fly properly. Um, and when Kornitsky heard that he was described as choleric, he wanted to show that they were mistaken as soon as possible. And I think that from a perspective of time, I can say that his determination in teenage years helped him to accomplish the great success as an adult in Royal Air Force or become the captain at the age of only 26. Indeed. A great poem. Yes, and I think the great insp inspiration for all of us. Well, there's nothing else for me to say than just invite you all to our website, Great Poems, and read the article about Franciszek Kornicki, of course, written by Alicia Stompur. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Congratulations to our young partners on their first Great Poems episode. We encourage our listeners to check out their website, greatpulse.pl, and listen to our interview with Stanisław Borowski in podcast episode 49. We're looking forward to their next episode of Great Pulse. It used to be a small bedroom community of Toronto. Now, Mississauga, bordering Toronto on the west, is a modern and multicultural city with a population of over 720,000 and Canada's sixth most populous municipality. Home to the largest Polish community in Canada, Polish being its second non-official language, it was ruled for 32 years by Hurricane Hazel, Hazel McCallion. The now 97-year-old and still extremely active McCallion held 12 consecutive terms as mayor, winning or being acclaimed in every election from 1978 to 2010, often without even campaigning. She was Canada's longest-serving mayor and runner-up in World Mayor 2005. In 2014, McCallion did not run again, but endorsed Bonnie Crombie, who became mayor in November 2014. A true icon adored by Mississaugans, Hazel McCallion is still active, attends dozens of events and holds many positions, among them that of the Chancellor of Sheridan College. Her successor Bonnie, Bojana Crombie, former member of Provincial Parliament and Mississauga Councillor, highly educated and experienced in business, is of Polish descent and keeps very close contact with the Polish community. 
Expanding the city, she's a powerful and highly respected Canadian politician. She's also very popular with Mississauga's inhabitants, appearing at numerous community events, always easily accessible. Apart from her effectiveness, knowledge and intelligence, Bonnie Crombie is known for her immaculate style, beauty and class. At ethnic events, she often appears in gorgeous national attire and is admired and respected by all 75 ethnic groups living in Mississauga. Just before Christmas, I visited Bonnie Crombie in her office, where I noticed a Polish flag on her desk. That is called langer, mm-hmm. and, or shalwar kameez, there are different ones, and saris are different types. Sorry. Sorry is you know it, you wind it, and you pleat it and fold it. Um, shower kameez means kind of a long tunic with kind of the pants, right? This one's langer. It's a different thing. Um, so I have a number of these in my wardrobe, and then I found a place where I can rent Oh, so you rent. You don't the buy big, them. The big, the big exclusive, like the big ones, the big star, because those are very expensive. Yeah. And once I've worn it <laughs> once, you photograph so much that, no, it's just even more, much more How practical. How many of these ethnic events do you go to? Because it looks like from every, your every Facebook, it looks like you're every, everywhere every all the time. Every weekend. So uh, on a typical Saturday, I could have up to 12 events on a Saturday. Last weekend, I think I had five in the evening, two in the afternoon, so seven. Uh, and on Sunday, I think I had four. Four, but I could I could go twelve and six too. I tried to. The one night I do try and take off is Sunday night because I, I just because I need to do my reading for the for the week and I like to spend some time with my family too and have dinner because I typically don't see them the other six nights. So you don't. How do you manage to even well, I've got have the families <laughs> too? <laughs> so yeah. So um, the children are older. Alex lives at home. He's twenty eight, but he's planning, putting money aside to, to move out. He's working at Queen's Park as a policy analyst. Jonathan is away at law school. He's in Cardiff, Wales. And Natasha is at Ivy Business School. So they all converge at home in the summer. If summer is a little bit lighter. My schedule's a little bit lighter, so I will see each other a little more. And Brian's traveling for work, right? He's spending his time in Ottawa, New York, and he's traveling for his client. Times. Do you have a vacation? Like regular vacation? I'm going away for, for two, three weeks or not? It's try and schedule vacation, yes. I did have vacation this year, and I take it with my family or my girlfriends, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have to schedule that. Because if I don't schedule time off, I, I don't get time off. That includes day off, right? So I had Thanksgiving off. So there are no weekends, so you really work seven days a week. Oh, yeah. When will I get another day off? Christmas. It's an everyday job. For everybody who is in your position, or is it just you're so crazy? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think Jim Watson is equally crazy. I think John Tory is equally crazy. And then other people, it just, they have to decide for themselves. Do you think you have enough energy to go for another? Oh, sure. Whatever? Oh, I love my job. It reinvigorates me. I love being out in the community. So even if I complain, I've got seven events or 12 events. When I get there, I'm great. I love, I love being with people. And they're celebrating, right? They're usually inviting me because it's a banquet or a celebration or a new business opening. I get to cut the ribbon or some function that they've been, an AGM, they've been planning for some time. So I have to keep in perspective that for me, maybe it's just one of many events that day, but for them, it's the one event they've been planning all year. And so they're very excited about that. So I have to go in with that attitude, like this is special for them, and I'm there to celebrate with them. 
So oh. asking you what you do in your free time makes totally no sense. There's not a lot of free time. So uh, what do I like to do if I had yes. time? Oh, that's a good question. Okay. What do you if like I, to do? I like to ski. We used to go for family ski but trips. cross country or No, downhill? no, no, downhill. 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 I like to ski. We just haven't had a lot of time to do that. I actually rock climb. So I have every once, I have once or twice, like once a year or so gone somewhere to go rock climbing. My goodness, but mm-hmm. not free climbing. Mm-hmm. No, not free. No, we're on fireman's belay. We're roped. We're on okay. ropes. We're on ropes. Right. I go with a group that know what they're doing. Okay. And what And else? they make me wear a helmet and all oh, that. Helmet. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> I run. Yeah, apparently, like some kilometers a week. Yeah, that's... Is that true? No. <laughs> no. Only in good weather. <laughs> like this, not so much until I acclimatize. Um, yeah, no, I, I do. I'm like I'm a very active person. Physically so, active. Physically active. But, uh, you know, I'm sporty, too. For instance, I golf once a year. But I have a little bit of natural ability. So when we play basketball, and I would say that 25% of the shots we used were mine. So that's pretty good, that's even though like I play so once a year. So I like golf. I like tennis. I like skiing. I like very active sports. Rock climbing. Rock climbing is great wow. to clear your mind. It's It forces you to focus because all you can think about is getting up that rock and where you put your hands and where you put your feet. You did modeling. Oh, oh, I was in grade elementary school. So my my mother should have been sending me to Polish school, yeah. but she didn't. She sent me to dance class, and when I got a little a little older, too, she thought it was a finishing school when they allowed me to do a little bit of modeling. Yes, okay. but that was a, that was twelve, about 12 thirteen years old. She she she's a competitive dancer. And she choreographed. She's the chore- choreographer. What sort of dance? Modern or classical dancing? She does everything. She, so she did modern. She did something called uh, lyrical. Lyrical is a, is a mix between jazz and ballet. Mm-hmm. So it's ballet steps, but to faster music. She did it all. She did mm-hmm. it all. And she was very good. Uh, but, you know, it comes to a point where that's either your career or it's not. And we agreed so that she was going to university yeah. and she was going to focus on her education. But it's a great part-time. It's a great skill to have. And she's used it now choreographing the fashion show, which is the big fundraiser mm-hmm. they hold at Western University for their the charity is the eight ball, which are the mentally handicapped kids. Wow. Mentally challenged kids. Fantastic. And she did segments. There's the evening gown segment, the day wear, you know, the bathing suit. All, all she did different segments. And I said, so that was great. And each one was so different. So did different people choreograph them and you oversaw the mm-hmm. whole thing? Because there was hundreds, there's at least a hundred models. They needed different one for each segment. She said, no, I did it all. Yeah, she was very creative. I was very, very proud of her. Very proud of her. But then all the kids did um, public speaking model you, and I made sure of that, too, that they were comfortable on their feet in front of a crowd. Anything that's really tough, um, something you so really don't like or something that irritates like. you. No, nothing irritates no. me. Um, <laughs> the busyness sometimes. It's very busy. Um, so when, you know, sometimes when I compare being a federal member, an MP, mm-hmm. and being the mayor, um, you know, I'm the CEO. So they say, you're coming back to federal politics. And I'll say, why? I have six ridings. What do I need one for? And I am the leader and I am the whip. Mm-hmm. So you set the tone. You set the policy. Uh, but then you have to sell it to your counselors too because everyone has I'm just one vote do you have opposition strong opposition in the council no no no, no. we work very you collaboratively on the same page I would say every vote is up for grabs and they will evaluate based on you know what does it do for their riding what does it do for city building how is your Mississauga different from Hazel's uh, we've embraced intensification and density um, we've embraced we are redeveloping which means what 
Uh, so in the downtown, there are no height restrictions. I have mm-hmm. 22 towers breaking down in the next five to ten years. Uh, we embrace public transit in a way that we want to retrofit streets for enhance public transit. Um, technology is different today, of course. We're embracing a lot of that. Um, Hazel did oppose uh, Uber coming in. She wrote a letter in support of taxis and asked us to consider banning them. So it's all the disruptive technology. So we're, I'm, you know, someone with two iPhones, right? personal one and one for business, and technology is different. Uh, it's, it's similar as well, and, and I've said so publicly, I give her kudos for what she did attracting all those businesses here, and I continue to do that, and that's why the trade missions are so so important that to be on the ground. Um, and I, I've said that in publicly, she's been in the room, I said she got this right, that you have to actually go out actively and bring these companies here. They just don't show up, because <laughs> you're in competition with other cities, other jurisdictions, other uh, provinces, other states, other countries for their business. They could go anywhere. States are offering them free land and free tax tax haven, right? So you have to fight for that. Oh, so just personally, I'm, you know, different people, of course. Uh, and she's so revered, right? She's iconic. So, uh, you know, it was a little bit more about the person because she's so iconic. For me, it's more collaborative. And I, you know, I, I, it's a team approach, Um you know, when we're at functions, I always bring everyone up and hand them the microphone. This is our team. They're here today to support you, too. It's not just me, you know, and it's very much, uh, uh, you know, this is an important decision. I want to hear from every one of you what your thoughts are. It's not just the local councillor and me that are making decisions. All of us, we're a team. It's a, it's, a, it's a different approach. It's, you know, every CEO sets tone at the top, right? And mine is collaborative, and I, uh, I welcome the input of uh, the entire team, all the councillors. And that is a little bit different. You? Pardon me? What kind of boss are you? Like something, something doesn't go your way, way, what do you do? You get angry? No, no. For instance, Carolyn Parrish and I have been opposite sides on a different mm-hmm. couple of issues, mostly on the seniors' transit. You know, and uh, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we 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 text each other all the time. We're in in communication. So after the vote, I said, "Ah, oh, congratulations! I guess the rest of them saw your side, you know, your way." And you know, uh, and she said, "Yeah, yeah," but you know, she said, "I think it's the right thing to do." But I understand your point, Bonnie. And like next issue, because well, hopefully we'll support each other again on the next issue. Like that's our approach, because. You need everybody together all the time, so you can't continue to fight old battles. You know, you say you won this one, we will work together on the next one. Do you think people of Mississauga have enough access in terms of, you know, hearing their voice? No. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I too much. Say. Way too much. I know, because you go everywhere. <laughs> yes. But what I mean is, you know, like to be heard. Uh, okay. In, in yes. I mean. Let me t- let me explain to mm-hmm. you. So, for instance, this uh, the consultation on our budget, for instance, by example. So... We started in June. We have a we have a website and an email, so you can uh, email uh, budget at mississauga.ca for any input. We have something called the budget allocator tool. So if you go on the website, you can actually play with percentages. You can say uh, as as recommended increase up 5%, down 5%, and you can see the impact of those decisions. So say you say firefighters, oh, it's one of our biggest cost centers. We should cut that back. So let's cut that 5%. Mm-hmm. And immediately you see that that's two trucks off the road and, and a number of firefighters. And is that really the direction you want to go? So that's when a 
fun tool for people. They actually see firsthand what that does if, if we make those cuts that they're suggesting. So what we have found uh, more appropriately is that we find savings through lean programs or the city manager challenges departments to cut 1%. And then um, they have the opportunity to come to council uh, for the budget discussions. I always have public question periods so they can come forward. We have teletown halls. We have three of them. And then two councillors chose to have live Mm-hmm. live budget meetings. So lots of consultation. Any plans with Poland, for example? So we're always talking about Poland. So uh, the, the, the discussions about Poland so far have been about trade. And trade is very good. It's about companies here that want to go do business with Poland and Polish companies that want to do business here. And that's all very positive. My focus as mayor is looking for companies that want a North American footprint and want to locate their business and bring an investment into the city of Mississauga and bring jobs because they're bringing money and they're going to build infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So that's been more my focus. The Board of Trade does trade. Now, will I attend with them? Yes. So we're working on that. Your dream 2018. Uh, Well, to be (laughs) re-elected. Do you think you're going to have anybody else running against you? You never know. You never know. so to be in, in it's continue the uh-huh. mandate. There are no really big new initiatives mm-hmm. because our plans are long term plans. So, you know, we've got a ten year capital management plan, so we know what roads are being repaved when and what bridges are being built when and when the pipes and the sewers are being refurbished. Mm-hmm. So we have a, ca- a capital management plan. Uh we the LRT is breaking ground, so we've been in, in we have meetings every week on engineering issues on design issues on what side of the road and how long will the cars be and what will they look like and what will the stations look like and where will they cross you know where people cross you know just every issue you can mm-hmm. think about uh, every week we meet with the design group and the engineering group so we, we want to talk about polishness i am so proud and we've been looking to see you know looking to understand if there's another large city mayor in canada or north america that's polish background and i don't think there is and so it makes me very proud to be that individual and to represent the community i think the community is very proud um you know i wish my polish was a little better i'm trying i go out of my way to practice a little bit more now uh, but it gives me deep sense of pride to be polish and to represent represent the community here in City Hall in Mississauga. And do you so. keep any Polish traditions like Christmas? Oh, of course. Vigilia. Vigilia. So, sure. So, we do all of it, of course. So, we have meatless on Christmas Eve and many of the foods. And even on Christmas or Easter, we always have Polish food incorporated into, you know, with our turkey or our ham or whatever. There's always, you know, fish for for Christmas Eve and we usually have kielbasa and bigos and cabbage rolls. When do you open Christmas presents? Yeah, I'll Christmas Eve. Right? Get yeah. Christmas Eve. So that's the true test, right? <laughs> <laughs> Almost the one. Well, except okay. my husband's traditions were that they had stockings, right? Christmas right. stockings. So, so you do both. We do both. We do a present on Christmas Eve and then the Santa comes and fills the stockings overnight and then oh, okay. they get their stockings. To learn more about Bonnie Crombie, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. We're living in the world of super-advanced technology. Every minute, a new thing appears, transforming everything we know and have gotten used to, including art. But we seem to long for classic, traditional styles and techniques. Look at the amazing and well-deserved success of the recent film Loving Vincent, 
written and directed by a Pole, Dorota Kobiela, the first fully painted animated feature film. Its 65,000 frames were hand-painted by 125 painters. It wasn't just computer software that created this masterpiece, but humans, artists. Tina Navrotsky is a Canadian illustrator and 2D animator. It is thanks to her talent and skills as a lead animator that a recently released video game called Cuphead has been so incredibly successful. As we can read on its website, Cuphead is a classic run-and-gun action game inspired by cartoons of the 1930s. The visuals and audio are painstakingly created with the same techniques of the era. So, instead of a quick computer fix, we have artists drawing hundreds and hundreds of pictures, like in the 1930s. Why don't we first talk about your professional life and how you got to that project. So I've read that your fields are illustration and animation, especially flash animation. What is flash animation? Um, so Flash is a software which got um, recently bought by Adobe, and now it's called CC Animate. So it's a computer program, and basically it's also two-dimensional animation, except the computer helps you out. You can make um, a puppet rig, so you can make a character with different limbs, and the software can help you by helping you move, draw some in-between. So drawing some drawings between two keyframes. So when there's one movement to another movement, the computer can make it faster. Um, it's a vector program, and vector means that it's not um, pixel-based like a photograph. The drawings are made out of mathematical equations, so they're very crisp, which is lovely, but it creates a very specific type of style and look, which is very graphic. But illustration means you started with drawing. I actually started very classically. I started with oil painting mm -hmm. when I was a child. Um, I We were immigrants from Poland. Uh, we got to Montreal, Quebec in 89, me and my family. My dad had a PhD in biology, ornithology especially, and my mom had a master's, but of course they couldn't find any work. So, you know, they did odd jobs. My mom took care of children. My dad did some construction and some renovation. So when we were growing up, there wasn't a lot of extra money, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. um, and so our parents couldn't give us much, but they gave us a lot of life lessons and taught us to be very independent at a very young age. Um, I was obsessed with horseback riding, but it's a very expensive sport in Canada. In Poland, it's a lot more affordable. Um, so we didn't have any money for that. So I started painting horses and oil paints at age 12. And I would sell them at um, at stables, you know, forcing people. This cute little girl was like, buy my painting, buy my painting. And then they would buy it for me. And then I could afford horseback riding lessons. So I had my first mm -hmm. exhibition at age 14. <laughs> Wow, congrats. Yeah. That's fantastic. You. So you started painting, and then somehow you got from there to animation. How did you make that leap? So I, I loved acting in theater pieces when I was in high school. Um, I especially liked comedy, making people laugh. And I loved to draw. I painted, you know, all my childhood until um, I was old enough to go to college in Montreal. And there I signed up to a program called Illustration and Design at Dawson College. It's a three-year technical program, so it's it's different in Quebec than other provinces. You don't have a last year of high school. You go to a cégep, which is like an in-between between university and high school, and you can pick your field. Mm -hmm. And there are pre-university programs, which are two years, or there are technical programs, which are three years, which are meant 
for people who don't want to continue to university, who just want to work. And I was one of those people. I just wanted to work. So I studied there and it was an illustration program. Um, therefore, I started learning computers there for the first time, Photoshop, Illustrator, you know, all those kind of software. And we also had classical illustration, like painting and charcoal and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was mostly self-taught before. So it was the first time I had actual instruction, which was really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we had a very small little class of animation. It's kind of just thrown in there as a little extra. It was two courses of animation. And I had this kind of aha moment because I really loved theater acting, like on the stage. And I really loved drawing. And then animation to me was acting with drawings. So it was a match made in heaven, and I got really excited about it. And then I started work as an animator right after that program. Mm -hmm. Cuphead is a computer game, right? And um, there are so many different kinds of computer games. But a lot of people say that, you know, people just get addicted to them. And once you start, you're gone. No more quality time with the family. You're just hooked on it. So what do you think? Do you play computer games yourself? Um, so I'm a very, very casual gamer. I, I'm not very good at computer games. Both my parents were environmentalists and, you know, it was very much play outside, <laughs> you uh -huh. know, go into the forest and do physical activity. Like, uh, I did horseback riding, archery, and, um, I also did fencing as a kid. I did saber fighting. Um, so I was very active outside. So I didn't have any time for computer games. We didn't even have a TV until I was in my <laughs> teens. So um, I didn't grow up with that culture. So when I started work in the industry, my first job was at a gaming studio. I didn't know what a console was, which is, you know, the kind of the box where all the games yeah. are. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know the word. And everybody laughed at me because I was really unaware. So because I've been in, in you know, this industry for 10 years, obviously I've tried some games and I haven't gotten very good. <laughs> I played Cuphead, obviously, because obviously. it's my game. Uh, but I'm, I'm not very good at it. Like, I still really enjoy it, but I'm not, I, please don't put me up as an example of how No, no, I was thinking it. more in terms of how, how, what your opinion is about, you know, the stereotypical opinion, which is for many people that it's just like stealing your time. And instead of doing this and this, you kind of get hooked on it and you can't. I, mm -hmm. I feel like every generation has that kind of approach to one technology or another. Um, when I was growing up, it was TV, right? TV steals your time. It takes you away from family. Family, mm -hmm. you know, and now everybody seems to be okay with TV shows because it's story driven. And now mm -hmm. that same kind of bias is against video games. Right. Where I also think that it's, you know, very story driven right now. The the quality of the art uh, and just basically as an art form, video games have really gone leaps and bounds. Um, and I really respect it as a medium and a form of entertainment. Like anything else, you can get addicted. You know, people do get addicted to TV. To TV. People get addicted to reading books. Like, you know, there are, which everybody like, thinks is good, right? Yeah, As exactly. But to, it's, hmm. it's also, it could take up all your time and you yeah. don't have time to see friends or family. So right. I feel like everything in moderation can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some really, you know, beautiful games with wonderful messages, beautiful art styles. So I feel, you know, it, they shouldn't be looked upon as like, you know, so evil, uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, next generation will be something else, you know, that people will say is taking up all your time. <laughs> so, right. Let's talk about Cuphead. Why make a pitch? Um, so Cuphead is a, a video game that's in the style of the old um, games of the 1980s. So it's a run-and-gun platformer and a boss rush. 
What um, does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> so uh, it's it's okay. I'm gonna try my best to explain. A run and gun is where your character is running across the screen from left to right, uh-huh. and you have to jump on little platforms, and then you shoot enemies as you run. So you're progressing from left to right across the screen, and the point is to get to the end uh-huh. without dying. And then a boss rush is when you have um, just one screen. You're not moving from left to right, but you're fighting one single thing on screen and maybe like other little ones. But it's a it's a, a bigger character, a more important character. Um, traditionally, in video games, you meet a boss like the big character um, at the very end of a game or, you know, at, at very key points in the game. You meet this big kind of menacing character, which you have to defeat. So that's what like a boss fight is. So uh-huh. Cuphead mixes um, some platforming where you're running across the screen from left to right, and then a lot of very interesting boss fights with really cool characters who have a lot of personality. Uh-huh. What makes the game very kind of eye-catching and noteworthy is that the graphic style was inspired by the 1930s cartoons. The old, old animation when it first started off with Fleischer Studios and the old Disney cartoons. So, for example, like Betty Boop, and Popeye the Sailor, and, you know, the old Mickey Mouse with Steamboat Willie. Mm-hmm. That's the style, the visual style, which hasn't been explored a lot in media or video games. So it was very eye-catching. A lot of, you know, the younger generation maybe weren't exposed to these cartoons. So people were like, oh, wow, it looks so silly, it looks so different, whereas it's actually just a very retro old style. Why, why did more- you choose that classic concept? Um, so Chad and Jared Moldenhauer, um, who are the two brothers who started the studio MDHR, which is responsible for Cuphead, they did two things. As children, they played a lot of the old-style video games, so exactly run-and-gun platformers and boss rushes. That's where the inspiration for the gameplay came from. But also their parents were obsessed with 1930s cartoons. Uh-huh. So instead of watching cartoons of the 1980s, they were watching all the old stuff on VHSs. They had a huge collection. Uh-huh. So that style had a huge place in their heart, and they really loved it. They explored several other style options, but they kept coming back to this 1930s style. And they, you know, they said, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if a video game had this style? And they kept waiting for somebody to make one. And nobody did. So at one point, we're like, you know what? We'll make it. How did they get you on board? Um, so uh, the game is animated very differently. It's the first fully hand-drawn, traditionally mm. animated video game. So all the animators were working on paper, which is very rare nowadays because of a huge move to 3D animation or just computer animation like I was talking about before in Flash. So young people who animate on paper have become really rare. You still have, you know, the generation of old masters from Disney and DreamWorks who are around. But, you know, they're very expensive and hard to find. So I had a love of traditional mediums since my early days of painting oil paintings. And when I would animate for myself, just for fun, I would always go back to that to that tactile uh, art of animating on paper where you flip the pages, you're drawing with pencil. To me, it had a lot of, a lot of soul and I loved doing it just for myself because I knew nobody would hire me. So I would post my work on a blog online just, you know, to show people, Oh, I'm doing this. This is some personal work. And Chad Moldenhauer, um, actually found me through the internet, through my blog, found me on LinkedIn and was like, Hey, we just saw your work. 
Um, we love that you're doing classical paper animation. Would you do a test for us for this video oh. game called Cuphead? And I had already seen a trailer for Cuphead the year before, and I was so excited that somebody was doing classical animation. Uh -huh. But I didn't even think of applying. I was like, oh, I'm sure they have everybody they need. You know, they didn't post that they were looking for somebody. So um, they found me, and and I got the job. Everybody else is also doing things on paper. Like this is the yes. style for the whole team, right? Absolutely. So mm -hmm. the animation is done on paper by the animators, and we animate in pencil. Uh -huh. Then Maya Moldenhauer, uh, one woman, a single woman, inked the entire game. So she would take our drawings, put a new piece of paper on top of them, and ink it by hand with a pen. And then um, Caitlin Russell is our background painter, and she painted all the backgrounds like they would in the 1930s. So we're all actual physical paintings in the backgrounds. The lettering in the video game is also done by a hand lettering artist in Vancouver. It's not a font. It's actually all hand-drawn. Um, the music is composed by a local musician called Christopher Madigan, and he made a beautiful soundtrack for Cuphead based on 1930s ragtime jazz. Three hours of beautiful original soundtrack pieces all recorded by a live band here in Toronto. I think part of the appeal of the game is it has a very human factor because we kind of stuck to all those old school mm -hmm. traditional methods in creating the right. game. How many drawings did you have to do? How many how much of this material do you actually have to produce for a game? Studium DHR said that there's over sixty thousand drawings that were wow. created for the game. Wow. <laughs> how successful has it been? Oh, it's been mind blowing. I don't think I, any of the team expected it to take off the way it has. Both Chad and Jared Moldenhauer, the brothers who are, you know, kind of the creative geniuses behind Studio MDHR, put a lot of, you know, heart and soul into the game, but they also put a lot of financial backing, you know, by themselves. So uh -huh. they remortgaged their houses, put a lot of their own savings and funds into the game. Um, so I think just as the launch party was ending, the sales were that big that we already had broken even. So everybody was had this huge sigh of relief. The response has been wonderful. I find that um, as an animator, I've gotten a lot of comments that people are interested again in 2D animation, that now that they saw Cuphead, they want to try it for themselves. You know, they want to they want to get back into drawing on paper. So it's very exciting. It's It's created a real, like, wonderful kind of fandom and snowball effect where... Um, the art and the gameplay are inspiring people. So is it going to make you rich and famous? I don't know about rich, but um, the famous is kind of nice. People are starting to know who I am. I've been invited um, to give some lectures in several different Ooh. places of late. So one of them was hosted by Tice Animation, Toronto Animated Image Society, as well as OCAD University and some other sponsors. Ooh. And it was a room um, where 350 people came to listen to me, um, to Caitlin Russell, the background painter, and Ali Morby, who worked on a lot of the maquettes um, for the game. And we had to turn 100 people away because the room got packed. So 450 people showed up to listen, which is pretty incredible. And I got invited to do um, Draw Break in Mexico which is another kind of convention about with illustrators from the gaming industry. And also Animex in, um, in England invited me to come talk. 
in the spring. So it's really exciting that people know who I am and they want to hear about the game and the process. It's it's very humbling and a very interesting experience. What is, what are you going to do now? Another game of the same kind of uh, classic format? I, I'm working on two smaller contracts currently. Um, one of them is an animation contract. Unfortunately, I can't say what it is because mm-hmm. it's under NDA. But if Studio MDHR wants to make another game, they already said that if they do make one, they want to continue with the traditional animation mm-hmm. style. So, you know, they have my number. (laughs) I would definitely work with them again. It was a wonderful experience. Soon after this interview was recorded, we got the great news that Tina Nawrocki was nominated for an animation Oscar, Annie Award for Outstanding Achievements for Character Animation in a Video Game. The 45th Annual Annie Awards Gala will take place on February 3rd in Los Angeles, California. Congratulations, and we are keeping our fingers crossed for Tina. You can learn more about her and Cuphead on mypodcast.com. Smacznego. We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Polish Classic Recipes and Polish Classic Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. Well, you might hear Laura's voice is a little harsh today. She's got a little bit of a cold, but we will soldier on. It's winter where we live, and if it's cold or snowy where you live, then you know that the farmer's markets have been disappearing until spring. But our grocery store shelves have a lot of cabbage on the shelves, and cabbage is a very popular staple of Polish cuisine. Cabbages are delicious, versatile in the kitchen, and very good for you. Whether they're green or red, big or small, wrinkled or smooth, they last a long time in your pantry and are a great buy. Laura, did you know that cabbage just may be one of the world's miracle foods? Really? Well, yeah. I looked it up online. Cabbage is rich in fiber and vitamin C and minerals, such as calcium and magnesium and potassium. And experts claim that it's good for the treatment of a long list of ailments, constipation, stomach ulcers, eczema, arthritis, heart disease, and even Alzheimer's disease. Well, that's quite a list. Whether all those claims are true or not, we can only say for sure that cabbages are good eating. We have several lovely cabbage dishes in our cookbook that have been getting great feedback. But today we want to share with you a dish from Peter's mom for Savoy cabbage and caraway. Start with one and a half pounds of Savoy cabbage, sliced in half inch strips. By the way, Savoy cabbage has big floppy leaves which are a bit wrinkly. You'll need a teaspoon of caraway seeds. Or more if you like caraway, like Peter. Two semi-sweet apples peeled and shredded. We like gala apples. A medium onion chopped finely, half a stick of butter, a tablespoon of flour, and generous hits of salt and pepper. Put the cabbage in a pot and add a half cup of boiling water. 
Bring it back to a boil, cover the pot, and cook for another 15 minutes. But don't go walking away too far because you should watch the pot and keep adding just enough water to prevent the cabbage from sticking to the pot and burning. Believe me, since I do the dishes, burning the cabbage is not good. It will stink up your kitchen and make the pot hard to clean. Stir in the caraway seeds and apples. Cook for another 10 minutes. While the cabbage is cooking, saute the onions on medium heat and half the butter until they just start turning color. Add the rest of the butter, the flour, and keep sauteing until the onions turn golden. Be sure to keep stirring. Add the onions to the cabbage and bring it all to a boil. Season with salt and pepper and you're done but always taste the dish to make sure the salt, pepper, and caraway is to your liking. We love to serve this with pork or a darker meat such as pot roast or duck. But it's also great by itself if you're having a meatless meal. For other recipes like this one and information about our heritage cookbooks, please visit our website www.polishclassiccooking.com. Smacznego! Oh, kapusta. Kapusta. This is <laughs> oh, like kapusta. anybody that thinks about Poland thinks about kapusta, which is cabbage in Polish. I think there is YouTube star, a rapper residing now in Poland, and, and one of his tunes starts with Pococi kapusta, pococi kapusta, pococi kapusta. But we know why we all need kapusta. Well, anyway, this is one of the traditional Polish dishes in all kinds of ways, like fresh kapusta and, of course, sauerkraut that we're so proud of, which is incredibly healthy, as good as kimchi or maybe better. But anyway, yes, now we just found out from Peter and Laura about a new way, which you didn't know about, Tomek, right? I didn't know it at all, and uh, I'm eager to try. That's right, that's right. But anyway, kapusta is Poland. Poland is kapusta. You've been listening to the 50th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For a lot of additional information, multimedia and links, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. And while you are there, please share your comments, your reactions and suggest your ideas. If you know of any interesting story that we should cover on our podcast, please let us know. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate this episode on your favorite podcast app. And we leave you today with some video game music. Yeah, the music from Cuphead video game. Thank you for listening to Polcast.